Dragon, everybody. It's the Orbital Zombie Dragon Show. Where we talk about all things sci-fi, horror, and fantasy. I am your host, Captain Richard Boomzilla Pippin. Our AI, uh, Dragana, is settling the ship into low Earth orbit for another transmission of the Orbital Zombie Dragon Show. Check us out at orbitalzombiedragon.com and you can listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, announcements this week. Yeah, I know I'm like a, like a week late on this. <laughs> we I had some other uh, production things, some other little surprises I'm working on for y'all that kind of got busy with that. And uh, this last weekend was just no, was no good. <laughs> <laughs> so I try to keep these gaps to a minimum. I'm actually in the middle of rearranging my production uh, for other things, and my 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 day job as a uh, pirate captain. <laughs> actually, the pirate captain's my dream. I have a, another day job that I go to, unfortunately, but I'm about to rearrange some of that uh, for better uh, scheduling and recording times gonna really try to streamline streamline this uh this smuggling alternative delivery method business that we're in here <laughs> i'm getting it together i promise uh and like i said i've got some other things on the horizon that i think you guys will enjoy i am still working on my own audio drama script and planning on doing i don't know probably sometime next year i'm not gonna say yet because that this is all new territory to me. I'm not really sure how long it's all going to take to get it together, get together uh, voice actors, things like that. I'm basically going to be tapping a lot of my friends, like, I need someone to do the voice for this character. Can you please come and read, <laughs> read some stuff? And then, of course, there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, production stuff, you know, a lot of uh, post-production, sound effects, that sort of thing. It's really kind of, uh, when I first started looking into it, kind of an intimidating prospect. And I, I wasn't too sure, but I, I guess what I decided, like, if it scares me a little bit, that means I'm pushing myself and I should probably do it. Because I think, um, like I said, I, I love this podcast. I'll probably always do this podcast. I don't know if it's going to go anywhere. I think the review market, or, I mean, I don't just do reviews. I do breakdown analysis of the storytelling. But I think it's kind of a, a saturated thing, hard to break into, hard to get noticed. And also, it's just, I don't know, I think the thing that really stands out now in podcasting is audio dramas. There's so many of them now. Um, Amazon, Facebook, um, Netflix, they're all so hungry for new content. They're even starting to look into this arena, the podcast arena for ideas. Homecoming, the podcast, which is really a good podcast. Just got picked up by Amazon, got big stars in it, like Julia Roberts. Uh, the other one I listened to, Limetown, just got picked up by Facebook Watch. So it's kind of a booming market over there, and I can see why. Just the same thing with audiobooks. It's entertainment 
you can listen to while you're at work, while you're driving. Uh, you, you can't necessarily watch a TV show at work <laughs> unless you have that kind of job, I guess. So it makes sense to me that audio dramas are taken off. And if you go listen, listen to some of these, like Wolverine, The Long Night, and some of these others, the production quality is, is just really been stepped up. I mean, you got professionals getting involved. Not saying I'm a professional, but I'm going to give it my best shot. I have a good idea. Uh, I've, I've kind of proposed the idea to a few friends of mine. They all seem to sort of like where I'm going with it. But again, I'm really new to scripting for audio dramas. So I'll probably be looking for some input once I have a script in hand to see how I can improve it and, and try to be at least, you know, somewhat on par with some of these uh, top level productions that are out there. So that's my announcement today. We're going to streamline the ship here, be a little more reliable, at least as reliable as a pirate ship can be. And also, you know, my other little project that I'm really excited about. I can't wait to be further along in the process where I can tell you more about it, but we'll get there. <laughs> today for you, I have uh, three movies. I I tried and tried to uh, find a fantasy thing this week, and I just couldn't find anything that I was even interested in talking about. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a good film. I'll talk about bad films if there's something interesting about it to talk about. But there's just not... A, <laughs> it's kind of a dry spell for fantasy right now. They had that Nutcracker in the Four Realms that I considered watching. I think I even mentioned that in the last episode. But in the end, I was like, no, not my kind of movie. I'm not going to torture myself that bad. As much as I, as the captain, like to sacrifice for you, I just couldn't do that one. <laughs> it was a, it was a bridge too far, so, <laughs> so I just couldn't put myself through a musical uh, adventure version of the Nutcracker Suite. I, I think I would have, I don't know, I, I don't think my popcorn would have uh, sat well with me. <laughs> but anyway, I got three movies to talk about. Fortunately, uh, even though I'm a little late with these, some of these are still in the theater, although one of them is probably about to go away. But as you'll see in my review, uh, don't worry about it. So today I've got Venom, <laughs> Venom, uh, Halloween, the newest Halloween movie, and Overlord, which just came out on Friday. And I went to see it on, on Friday evening just to, because uh, that's one I've been waiting on for a while. But I'll, I'll get into that. I'm going to save the best for last. I'm saving Overlord for last. So today we kind of have sci-fi horror horror. instead of sci-fi horror fantasy. I don't think I... Yeah, yeah. I've got something for you. We'll see. We're rolling right along. Venom, the first movie. Uh, 2018 film. These are all 2018 films. I don't know why I'm going to tell you that. You, you know. Uh, this is the comic book movie. Kind of interesting, interestingly enough, is not really part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a whole weird legal who owns the rights to this and who owns the right to that thing. So Venom and, and certain aspects of Spider-Man are somehow still in the hands of Sony Entertainment Group. So this is not going to fit in with this big, massive Marvel Cinematic Universe that they're building. But this is starring Tom Hardy as Eddie Brock the main character who becomes the first host of Venom, the you know, alien symbiote. And of course, you know, Tom Hardy He's really good. He's been in things like Mad Max and Inception. Really great actor. Uh, I'm not sure why he signed on for this. <laughs> I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, he seems like a higher notch 
higher caliber actor than uh, this this <laughs> story deserves. I hate to put it that way, but it's true. Uh, you also have Michelle Williams as Anne Wing. And, of course, you know Michelle Williams, uh, Dawson's Creek, which is not genre. I don't want to wait for our lives to be over. I'm not going to sing to you. I'm, although I do that every week, don't I? I love to torture you guys with my singing. And, and if you want something genre, she was in that Shutter Island movie with uh, Leo DiCaprio. Or as I like to call him, DiCrapio. I'm just kidding. I love Leo. Um, <laughs> you have the villain here is played by uh, Riz Ahmed, who plays Carlton Drake, uh, the host for another alien symbiote named Riot. I don't think they even mentioned his name as a symbiote in the movie, but I, I know from knowing Venom and Spider-Man that it was Riot. And uh, Riz has not been in a whole lot of stuff. He was in Rogue One, I think, as one of the minor characters if you're looking for something genre. So I went I went and watched this film thinking it was going to go away. I probably went to see this about two, three weeks ago thinking, oh my God, this ain't going to be at the theater very long. I'm going to go see it. Turned out I was wrong. It's still there. I think in, in, in this local theater here, there's like still one showing every day. <laughs> Three weeks after I thought it was going to be canceled. So somehow it's still hanging in there. I This film was... Eh, it was... Eh, I wouldn't even say okay. It was like whatever one less level than okay is. <laughs> that was this movie. Uh... I'm not saying anything about the actors. I mean, Tom Hardy, obviously a great actor, and he turned it into the best performance he could with this material. Uh, there were some funny moments that he delivered pretty well. I don't know that he's got a future in comedy, but <laughs> he delivered the funny parts pretty good. Like Sort of like the funny parts you see in films like Mad Max. It's just kind of an aside, but uh, Tom Hardy delivers them. Uh, there is a lot of action in this movie, as you would expect. But uh, not really too much reason to get attached to any of the characters, even Eddie Brock. He's kind of a loser asshole. <laughs> it's hard to uh, be rooting for Eddie Brock. Uh, it's it's just, I don't know, a lot of action, a lot of uh, suspense over the action. But it's like, yeah, it, it's, I don't know, on some level, it's just like, it's just like watching the action for the action's sake. And there are some moments where I'm like, wow, that's that's pretty amazing. But it's all mostly, the other downside, it's all mostly CGI, which I guess is kind of unavoidable if you're doing a Venom slash Riot fight. There's going to be tons of CGI, but could have used a little more story in between the really long, drawn-out CGI, like, video game uh, <laughs> parts of the movie, which was most of the movie. Uh, I will say this, I'm watching the movie in a the theater, and, of course, I loved uh, one of my guilty pleasures from back in the day was Dawson's Creek. And I totally did not recognize Michelle Williams in this. I kept going, like, I, I know her from somewhere. But she looks so different now. I mean, Dawson's Creek, she was probably a teenager. <laughs> and uh, Shutter Island, she was kind of like the dead wife that she might have saw in a few scenes, I think. And so... I just didn't recognize her at all. Just like, oh, I know her. She's attractive. <laughs> and I can't think couldn't think of where I knew her from basically until the credits rolled. Usually somewhere halfway the movie, I'm like, oh, it's her. But not this time. No, not the credits rolled. I'm like, oh my God, that was Michelle Williams. Uh it's kind of weird. <laughs> but uh again, this movie, 
even though this might this might be the last week it's at the theater. Maybe it'll go one more week. I don't know. Uh, I don't feel too bad about reviewing this one late because it's really just like if you really want to see this Venom story, I would just wait for video and rent it. I wouldn't even buy it because you'll never you'll watch it once. You'll never watch it again. And that's why for this one. I basically had to give it, uh, let's see, for sci-fi, we use blasters instead of tombstones. So I basically had to give it a two out of five blasters and basically just tossing in a point for Tom Hardy's performance. It's really, <laughs> the story is uh, a little disjointed. And of course, like the last 30 minutes, is just a video game boss fight and I guess that's about as much as you can expect from a movie about Venom. I'm not really blasting, blasting for that. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Venom shouldn't be a movie. <laughs> I really doubt there's going to be a sequel to this. And if there is, they're probably not going to get Tom Hardy and Michelle Williams again. I, I got to imagine they're probably just kind of kicking themselves. for Why did I do this? Some my Get my agent on the line. They screwed up. <laughs> I don't know. I'm totally speculating there. They might be like, oh, well, you know, you win some, you lose some. That could be it, too. So, <laughs> again, two out of five blasters. Wait for video if you really want to see it and rent it because it'll just completely forgettable. You'll just, it, if you, if the, I, I do all, you know, digital video, of course, but if you had the DVD version of this, you would, the DVD would sit collecting on your desk for, desk for 10 years until you, until you just like sold it to declutter or something. So, <laughs> so that's really, I didn't have too much more interesting to say about that one. So it's a pretty short review for, uh, for Venom. Not much story to analyze for you either. It's just, I mean, it's a comic book video game storyline. So <laughs> moving on to something a little more interesting, Halloween. This is 2018 film, of course, starring Jamie Lee Curtis coming back as the much older Laurie Strode. Uh, I've seen her very recently in Scream Queens, which is another of my guilty pleasures. I love Scream Queens. I love Emma Roberts in it. Uh, it's very funny, like horror comedy. I just, and I know some of it's like silly and over the top, but I just love that movie. I love that TV show. I mean, I, I binged watched all the seasons on Hulu and I'm just I'm loving it. I can't wait to watch more of it. <laughs> and Jamie Lee Curtis, of course, now in plays the Dean uh, of the, the college where the, you know, the, the sorority is and all that. And she's really awesome in it. I so said, she's awesome in it. Emma Robertson. If you haven't checked out scream Queens may or may not be your cup of tea. I loved it. I can't watch enough of it. <laughs> I love Emma Roberts as the vapid sort of, you know, mean through ignorance character and uh, I'm going to go off on a tangent here to tell you that because I, I I do not know the Roberts family personally okay I'll say I'll start with that disclaimer but I have seen because I'm fans multiple interviews of them you know Eric and, and Julia and Emma and uh, they always well not Julia but Emma and Eric <laughs> Roberts always tend to play these kind of uh, kind of asshole characters. They're kind of jerks. <laughs> Eric Roberts, especially Emma's kind of half and half, I guess. And they play it so well. 
I kind of wonder if they don't get like public hate and they're on public like, oh, there's that bitch from Screen Screen Queens. Because <laughs> you know how people are they 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 link the character with the actor somehow and they they get they get hate on the street. But when you listen to interviews with them, they are just like the most. You would think they'd be huge stars, like huge egos on their heads, but they're like they seem like really decent, uh, uh, down to earth sort of people. And especially, I was impressed with Eric Roberts' uh, interview on on one other podcast I listened to. One of the podcast hosts was talking about a, a book he had written, and Eric Roberts was asking about it and asking if he can have a copy to read it, and it wasn't. It didn't seem. I mean, it just had audio to go by, but it did not seem at all like he was just being. Oh, I'll just be nice and take this guy's book. He seemed genuinely interested in uh, anything like a creative effort. And uh, I thought that was a really cool interview. So I just wanted to point that out. Like this, <laughs> this is way off on a tangent, but it's just funny that they tend to play jerks and they just seem like the nicest people in Hollywood. <laughs> but uh, anyway, back to this. Like I said, you had Jamie Lee Curtis recurring as Laurie Strode, you had Judy Greer playing her uh, daughter, Karen, who you've probably seen recently in Ant-Man and Jurassic World. And you got a relative uh, newcomer here, Andy Matichek, uh playing Laurie Strode's granddaughter, Allison. She's really new. I didn't really see anything genre in her list, although she's soon to be in a sci-fi thriller called Replicate, I think, in 2019. So, uh, I will say that judging from her performance in this, I'm looking forward to seeing her in more. So I probably will watch Replicate when it comes out. And uh, so on to Halloween. This this movie is considered a sequel to the first movie, you know, way back in 1970. I think it was 78, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have it in my notes here, but I think it was 78. And uh, it totally ignores all the other stuff. Like all the other sequels, all of them where it got really crazy and all, it pretty much ignores all that. Like it doesn't even exist. And you've seen that in a lot of other uh, films, a lot of film series where they just decide to, we don't like this. In fact, they've done it in the Halloween series before. You know, Halloween 2 came out and it was kind of a yeah, lesser sort of hit. Of course, all these movies were kind of, they're popular now, but they weren't big hits back then. And then, you know, Halloween 3, the season of The Witch came out. And it was a disaster. They completely went with a different storyline. Didn't even involve Michael Myers, or if it did, it was only peripherally. And it just didn't fit with the rest of the series. And so when they went to Halloween 4, they're like, we're just going to pretend that season of The Witch never happened. So this time, they're just skipping over all that. It's like, boom, 40 years have gone by. Laurie Strode's older. She's been preparing her whole life for the day Michael escapes or gets released or whatever. She's built this uh, kill house because <laughs> he knows she knows he's going to come for her, and basically is prepared for him. Got all these death traps and and weapons and uh, a safe room all set up, basically. And and uh, when she had her daughter played by Judy Greer, she prepared her for it too. And then the granddaughter, she tried to prepare her for it too. So. Everybody kind of grew up thinking mom and grandma was nuts that this killer was never going to be released. And <laughs> turns out she was right. Eventually he does escape. But uh, that was part of the interesting dynamic of these characters that everybody just like grandma's nuts. Don't listen to her. 
<laughs> you know, she's she she's raised us with this crazy idea of this psycho killer that was going to, this boogeyman that was going to come back for her, which is kind of similar if you think about it to uh, the Terminator thing with Sarah Connor, you know, telling John the world was going to end and taking him out into the desert to train with gorillas and stuff. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's kind of similar to that. Uh, another genre sort of piece. I will say that this movie, I always talk about the cell phone problem in horror movies. And the cell phone problem, of course, is that the cell phone's a really handy device that everybody has that you can call for help when you're in a dangerous situation. So, as I've explained many times, horror writers, horror uh, movie directors, and whatever, have to find a way to take care of the cell phone problem so that the main characters can't call for help. Because if they get, if they call and the, you know, the, the troops show up, you know, 14 cop cars roll up. Well, that's the end of the horror, isn't it? And things are, everything's safe now. And so they have to get rid of the cell phone. So I'll say this, I won't give it away because this one's definitely going to be at the theaters for a while yet. You can still go see it. Uh, this movie, out of all the ones that I've talked about, the cell phone problem has the most unique way I've seen so far of, of getting rid of the cell phone. <laughs> when you see it, You'll know what I'm talking about. I've never seen this done before. Somebody can tweet me or, or, or send me a message or whatever. And let me know if I'm wrong. But I've never seen it done in this particular way before. So I think I'm going to start a thing where this one is the current king. <laughs> the current uh, top of the category. Getting rid of the cell phone problem. Until something overtakes it later on. But right now this one's king of the hill. Getting rid of the cell phone problem. So you'll see what I'm talking about when you see the movie. This was a good movie with some good performances and a good story for the most part. I'll tell you about my problems with it in a little bit. Uh, part of what I liked about it is Michael, to me, in my mind, uh, of the character, is not a fancy killer. He's not a jigsaw with you know these, uh, these uh, mastermind sort of traps or anything like that. He's just a simple brutal and effective killer he doesn't try to outdo his last kill if jabbing a knife in somebody works for the first guy he'll do it to the second guy too he doesn't try to get fancy with it he does what he knows and in some ways he's kind of portrayed as a a, a single-minded not simple-minded but just single-minded sort of character that uh just relentlessly pursues laurie strode <laughs> and uh so you don't want to get too fancy with him and they didn't i think when you go too fancy sometimes it becomes this I have to outdo the next the killing with the next one and outdo that one and, and then it just gets ridiculous where the final kill is just so over the top and weird like why would you go through all that and when you can just jab them with a knife <laughs> there was I won't spoil this one for you but there is a pretty brutal killing scene early on in a uh, kind of a gas station bathroom that you saw you saw a little glimpse of it in the trailer so I'll give you that. But that scene is pretty uh, terrifying. <laughs> uh, one of the probably one of the best uh, kills in the film. I guess if you can rate the kills in the film, that would be to me one of the best ones. So again, they kept them simple. They kept them brutal. Uh, part of Michael's strength is that he he's just so single minded and focused. He's not affected by things. Not affected by emotions. He doesn't have qualms about things. He doesn't get nervous. So he has that kind of strength that, that comes from that and uses it. I mean, he's just a brute. 
He just uses what he has. <laughs> um, this one was, it was good. I enjoyed it at a theater. It's also fine to wait for video if you want. There's um, not a lot too special here that you can't wait, but it, it's, yeah, you'll see when I get my rating. Uh, it's pretty cool in here. I want to say that they brought back the original Michael actor from the 1978 film. Now, he's not in the costume through most of the movie. Like, he's not in the costume running around doing all this. Obviously, then this guy's much older. He's, I think he's in his late 60s or something. And as I said, Michael's a very physical character. He has to lift people off the ground and pin them against the wall and and uh, bull rush people. And this guy's probably, you know, not <laughs> physically up to the task. But they wanted the appearance of the older Michael in the institution, in the little prison or whatever in the beginning. So they went back and got the original actor that was in the costume in the 1978 film. So all those scenes where you get to see Michael's face and him standing there in the prison yard just looking all hulking and scary and uncommunicative, that's the original actor. <clears throat> and later on, when he puts the mask and the jumpsuit on and all that, it's it's a newer, younger guy that can handle the physical aspects of it. But I just thought that was, I thought I'd mention that. That was really cool. Little continuity there. You got, you know, you got Jamie Lee Curtis. And you have the original Michael in this film. That was pretty neat. <laughs> so, the, my problems with the story. My problems with the story, they're, they're few, but they're kind of important. <laughs> and, and like One of them was the, there's this middle part with the doctor that's been caring for Michael. And it just really didn't fit with the character or the rest of the story. It didn't make a whole lot of sense. I'm not sure why they decided to stick that in there. And I mean, it's easily a good full 10 to 15 minutes in the middle that just occupies this 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 one scene. And it just, eh, I just didn't like it. I'm like, why did they stick that in there? They could have done without that little part of the story quite well. And it just kind of, it felt like a um, like an interrupt to the story. Like, okay, okay, that's over. We can get back to the real story now. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't like that too much. And also my other big, bigger problem was that the ending was pretty lame and I'm not going to spoil it for you, but uh, go ahead and watch it. And, and uh, if you, if you disagree with me, let me know. If you agree, let me know what, you know, any other thing <laughs> you have about this movie, uh, feel free to let me know. Again, you can go to orbitalzombiedragon.com and there's a contact page that has my email. If you'd like to interact with me, <laughs> <laughs> on some level but yeah I, I just thought the ending was really lame not gonna spoil it for you but it's just like yeah a lot of build up for for this it I, I didn't feel it you know i mean uh, a good ending when you're fighting this brutal serial killer you should feel it it should be kind of visceral and it was just yeah it was just like a big nothing <laughs> i didn't like it at all so all that in mind i had to give this a rating and the tombstone rating system, and I gave it a three out of five. Definitely got some points for you know the, the execution, the inclusion of the original cast, and uh, also the acting of the newcomers like Andy uh, Matichak. And also, I kind of gave it a you know a couple points for <laughs> the original uh, solution to the cell phone problem. So three out of five tombstones. You can go watch it. You can you can wait for video, uh, whichever you prefer. It's 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 an okay horror film. <laughs> I said the other one was one step below. Okay, this one's okay. So, 
<laughs> That's what I have to say about that. So, as I've said, I have saved the best for last, Overlord. I have been seeing trailers for Overlord. Like I said, I go see a lot of movies. So, I have been seeing trailers for Overlord for, oh God, like two or three months now. And again, they try to they always try to make the trailers kind of fit with the film you go and watch. So, if you're going to see a horror film, they kind of show you a lot of horror trailers. They might mix in some other stuff. But, so, because of the type of movies I watch, I've been seeing this trailer for like two to three months easily. And I was pretty excited about it. Couldn't wait for it to come out. Finally came out. So again, I don't see many things on opening night uh, this time because of circumstances and being exciting, excited about it. I went to see it on opening night, uh, which was this last Friday. So it's probably going to be at theaters for a while uh, yet. So you got still got a chance to go see it. There are a lot of new people in here that you may have not heard of. Although one you have seen, though you might be sitting there going, where do I know that guy from? And I'm going to tell you. So in here you got uh, Jovan Adepo as voice, Ed Voice, kind of the main character in this. He was in this series called The Leftovers, if you're looking for some genre. Uh, you got Wyatt Russell as the squad leader Ford. I haven't really seen him in anything, uh, but he's pretty awesome as Ford, the squad leader and the only combat veteran of this paratrooper group. And he played the role really well. Uh, now, I am going to murder this name, I promise you. <laughs> the Kind of the main villain in this is this guy named, the actor's name, oh my goodness. I should have went and looked up on how to pronounce this. Pilus S. Aspic? Aspic? Good Lord, I'm going to murder that. <laughs> I'm going to go look it up after this, How see how close I was. <laughs> Probably not very close. But uh, he plays the main villain. Uh, villainous kind of the uh the nazi uh commander leader in the area you might would think it's the doctor that you saw in the trailers but the doctor's kind of he's there he's a villain he's but he's kind of a secondary villain this guy is like the commander of the operation that they that they find and if you're sitting there trying to want figure out where you've seen this guy from is from game of thrones and ghost in the shell he played bateau and the ghost in the shell movie with scarlett johansson and in game of thrones he was uh, uh, Balon, no, not, not Balor. I'm confusing things. He was Euron, Euron Greyjoy, the one that's kind of <laughs> promising his fleet to uh, the Lannisters, and, you know, he's kind of a traitor. <laughs> you, you'll know him. He had that fancy uh, leather outfit that didn't fit with Game of Thrones times. But <laughs> you, you'll, know, you'll know who I'm talking about. But anyway, he was really good as the main villain of this. I do have some qualms about this movie as well, although I really liked it. And it kind of involves uh, this character. I'll get to that in a minute. So anyway, this was a mixed genre movie. It's kind of half and half a World War II war movie and a horror movie. And sometimes that can go really well. Sometimes it can really go poorly. I would say this one did the mix really well. It kind of reminds me of a couple of movies. Uh, because of the mix, it reminds me of Dust Till Dawn. That kind of does this genre switch halfway through. This one does kind of the same thing. Kind of the idea behind the story, if you've seen the trailers, is that this is the paratrooper or part of the paratrooper group that's you know parachuting in the day before the uh, Normandy invasion. 
you know, before they land on the beach, that scene you always see in all the movies, the landing on the beach with the Higgins boats and machine incoming machine gun fire, you always see that. You see this one a little less. These are the people that went in the day before to sabotage things like radio towers, airfields, and stuff like that to uh, to basically make that invasion a little less brutal. <laughs> disrupt communications, disrupt air support, that sort of thing. Uh, disrupt the coordination of the enemy. So this group is parachuting in the night before to do that. And, well, like happened a lot of those uh, those operations, things went horribly wrong. You're parachuting deep into enemy territory. I remember this quote from some other movie where one of the uh, the, the the lesser experienced soldiers runs up to the sergeants like, we're surrounded, we're surrounded. And he goes, we're paratroopers. Of course we're surrounded. <laughs> That's what we do. So uh, they, they land in a bad situation. So this movie, even before the horror part of it starts, is very tense. It's very uh, tense and taut thriller sort of uh, material. They're deep in enemy territory trying to sneak in and destroy this radio tower that's been built into the top of a church. And so sneaking through uh, hordes of Nazis, very tense, even if they're not monsters. <laughs> well, they're monsters, just a different kind of monster, I guess. Uh, this movie also kind of reminded me of 30 Days of Night, uh, mostly because of the ending, though it wasn't as depressing. And I'll get into that again in a moment. Uh, this was a really good horror movie. It, it, I watch a ton of horror movies, so most movies I'm kind of like, I'll watch it and go, I understand why that's scary, but I'm not really scared. You know, I'm like, yeah, it's, yeah, that's pretty creepy or scary or whatever. But I don't have like a gut level reaction to a lot of it. And this one I did in some of the scenes. Sometimes there's just like these sudden sort of brutal incidents in it. That kind of take you by surprise. Uh, I don't think they're too heavy on the jump scares. Although I think maybe there was one or two. Uh, but it's mostly just really tense, tight. And uh, like I said, there's just these sudden moments where things go really wrong, really fast. And even me, with my kind of jaded <laughs> self, there was some parts that made me jump and squirm. Because it was just so kind of in-your-face and visceral uh, experience. So on the horror side of it, really good. Uh, even the war side of it is really scary. I mean, scary. Like I said, jumping into, sneaking into enemy territory. Uh, the negative, again, I want to mention is the ending. You had all this great stuff and the great like wartime scenes, them sneaking in, finding the church. And of course, again, if you've seen the trailer, part of it is that they're there to destroy that radio tower. But when they get there, they discover something else is going on in this little French town. The Germans found something under the church and have been experimenting on it, creating this juice <laughs> that they have and laying around in these syringes down in the lab, injecting people from the village with it, experimenting on them, trying to create it like a basically kind of a super soldier formula. I think at one point they call it the thousand year soldier, soldier that'll last for a thousand years. So basically trying to create this monstrous super soldier. And the experiments so far have not gone well for the villagers. And uh, through the course of these, these paratroopers intervening and stuff like that, you find out more about it. And they decide while they're there, they're there for the radio tower, but they really need to do something about this because Germany is creating monsters. Okay. Like they're not monsters enough. <laughs> they're creating super monsters. They decide to do something about it. So, Getting to the ending that was kind of disappointing to me, 
it basically it took all this great stuff, all this great stuff leading up to it, and then the final, I guess, fight with the uh, the the main villain there, it kind of devolved into a boss fight, like a video game boss fight near the end. It was kind of disappointing, uh, but it, luckily that was pretty short duration, and they redeemed it in the end. The ending's not as depressing as Thirty Days of Night. Hope I'm not giving too much away there, but you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's the only negative I see. There was kind of this five minute thing near the end. It's like, no, yeah, they could have they could have made me feel that last uh, struggle over the lab and everything a little more than just having a video game boss fight. But overall, really good movie, good characters, really tense and taut story. I really enjoyed this at the theater. I recommend going to see it while it's there. It's definitely worth watching. Uh, you know, it's got the all the, the traditional, you know, World War II movie makings, too, including that you got to have this in every World War II movie. You got to have that ping when the M1 Garand ejects its little metallic clip. Like, ping, you're going to hear it. So because <laughs> that's important, right? <laughs> so for this one, as far as horror, I give it four out of five tombstones. Have I given a five to anything yet? I don't know that I have. I'll check my archives and see. But I'm still waiting for that, you know, the one that really knocks me off my socks, I think. And, and uh, but yeah, this one's four out of five. Definitely worth going to see. I deducted a couple points for that boss fight thing. <laughs> but other than that, really good movie. Worth going to see the theaters. Like I said, I saved the best for last. And this is the best thing I've seen, you know, for this week's episode. I do have some writing tips for you today. This might be kind of brief. But it's about, it's kind of related to Overlord. It's about mixing genres in your writing. Mixing genres, like I said, is kind of risky. You're targeting sometimes two very different sorts of audiences, and that can go really wrong uh, if you slight one, <laughs> focusing on the other, or just from lack of knowledge or research on your part, you're not putting in elements that one side likes just because you want to try and draw those people in, you know, kind of feels like a, like I'm just like a customer grab <laughs> and you don't really, you don't really, you don't know me, man. You don't know my genre, man. <laughs> Reaction you might get. You're just trying to cash in. So I'm going off on a tangent there again. So I would say with mixing genres, my advice would be less is more. It's okay to mix, but don't overdo it. And you kind of want to give equal attention. The method you see in this movie, of course, is kind of where you switch halfway through. That's one method. There are other methods out there, but you kind of want to give the, the genres a little bit of equal time, a little bit of equal amount of attention to detail. Maybe not necessarily equal time, but equal respect, I guess is what I should say. You know, equal respect for the genres. Uh, if you mix... I would kind of limit it, especially if you're just starting out trying to do this. I'd try to limit it to mixing two genres. I think trying to mix more than that, three, you know, four especially, uh, you, you risk getting too thin on each and kind of losing the target audience. Again, in writing, you can't, you can't, one of the worst things I hear people say is like, I'm going to write a book that everybody's going to love. Well, that's impossible. You want to write a book that a certain group will love and buy and follow. Uh, trying to appeal to everybody is a pretty much surefire way to make sure nobody reads your book. So, <laughs> again, don't try to appeal to everybody. Mixing's okay, but I would not overdo it. Target audience is very important. Like I said, if you try to appeal to everyone, 
everyone. Like they said in the professional. <laughs> Get me everyone, Benny. Uh, <laughs> if you're trying to appeal to everyone, it will definitely fail. Uh, there's some uh, good examples of genre mixes that seem to work pretty well, like sci-fi horror, uh, dark fantasy, which is kind of a horror fantasy, uh, comedy horror. I've reviewed a few of those on this show. Uh, historical horror, like Overlord. And you have a rarer kind of breed, like uh, historical sci-fi. Definitely more rare, but also works. It's more commonly called like alternate history. It's basically where one event in history goes differently than what we've experienced and kind of changed the course of things and shows where we would end up if this had went differently in our history. So there's a few good examples of that, like Nazis win the war in The Man in the High Castle, which you can watch on Amazon. And also like uh, that comic book movie, The Watchmen, where we, where we just win the Vietnam War really quickly because we had superheroes. So it's... Uh, that's some good examples of that. All these things, like I said, can work, but don't stretch each too thin. And as always, make it about the characters. Always say that no matter what kind of story you're writing, mixed genre, single genre, whatever. If you don't make it about the characters and their development and their interactions with each other, it's, it's not, it's not going to work. People aren't going to relate. You can do all you want, this high-handed sort of, uh, let me give you an encyclopedia about what happens if the Nazis win the war. You got to you got to narrow it down to some characters that really affect things. And that's the way you get people to, to focus in on the story. And it doesn't read like an encyclopedia entry. So that's my advice. Writing tips for mixing genres for this week. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. I don't know exactly what all I have planned for next week. Although it probably will include Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald which is the only fantasy thing I see coming out next week. Again, you can check us out at orbitalzombiedragon.com. Listen to the podcast there or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the Facebook page or Instagram. And as always, if you like the show, please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps with visibility, help us reach some more people that might like the show. Now it's time to roll out, drop out of low Earth orbit, go on another smuggling operation. Dragana. Take us out.